If you have your Bibles, can you stand with me as we read God's Word? Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. And I will read in your hearing verses 31 and 32. If you have it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, wait on me. Genesis 29, verses 31 and 32. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And the Bible reads, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Bow your heads with me as we consider the subject, 12 years a slave. 12 years a slave. Father in heaven, we wonder sometimes. We wonder what do you see when you look at us. We think that we spend more time with us than you do. We think that we know more about ourselves than you do. But, Lord, for some reason or another, when you look at us, you smile. When you look at us, you see something in us that we do not see. Lord, we ask today that you see that very thing that causes us shame. Bring it to our consciousness and transform it for your glory. Do it in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. The pictures are posted. Instagram and Pinterest are set ablaze, set on fire with the scenes from the wedding and the reception. The honeymoon is over and real life begins, transitioning from the euphoria of the nuptials to the mundane life of everyday holy matrimony. The relationship status has been updated from it's complicated to married. After 14 years, Jacob finally has his woman. He sang her a song at the wedding. When I first saw you, I said, oh my, that's my dream. I needed a dream to carry on. When it seemed to go bad, then I found you. And I've had the most beautiful dreams that any man have ever had. Rachel is the woman of Jacob's dreams. And as he exchanges his vows, the 14 years that it takes to get her to finally put a ring on it, it only seemed like a few days. Everyone is smiling. The bride is smiling and the groom is smiling. The father is smiling. Everyone is smiling except Leah, Jacob's first wife. In a scene that only Hollywood could create, Leah is Jacob's first wife, and the past seven years has been anything but bliss for her. Compared to her sister since day one, she mutters under her breath how Jacob used to sing to her, but now he's not even looking at me anymore. When Jacob was with me, he was thinking about you. When he was in the bed next to me, he was on his phone singing you another song. I'm a faceless clock with timeless hopes that will never stop. When I feel that way, you know my soul's at stake. I'm strung out 
over you. I need you, Rachel. You got me going in circles. Round and around I go. He's married to Leah, but for seven years he's singing to Rachel. No wonder the first part of our scripture says the Lord sees that Leah is hated. She is compared to her sister Rachel, who is the object of Jacob's affection. She is compared to her sister, and she competes with her sister. She's compared to her sister in age because she's the oldest. She is compared to her in looks. In verse 17 of chapter 29, it says that her eyes are weak, but Rachel is beauty is beautiful in form and in appearance. Jewish tradition says that Leah spent most of her life crying over her destiny because it was her destiny to be married to Esau, Jacob's older brother, and they say that she cried for years asking God to change her fate, and in the process her eyes get weary. She is trapped in another man's love affair compared to her younger sister. She is defined by what she does not have. She is measured not by what she brings to the table, but, what, but by what she doesn't bring. She is described by her deficiencies instead of her qualifications. Her social standing doesn't just come from her family, but it comes from how she measures up with her sister. When people see her, they only see the color of her skin instead of the content of her character. She is defined by the attractiveness of her silhouette and the circumference of her um, physiological attributes. She is the ugly duckling in the house being evaluated by the bone structures in her face. And she has grown weary. And over the last seven years, her life has been a burden because she has to keep warm a man who doesn't want her, who doesn't love her, who outright hates her. And what's messed up is that the person who is judging her is a faulty source in his own definition. Jacob wasn't working with much when he met Leah and Rachel. He was jobless and homeless, and all he had to his name was a dream. To understand Jacob, you need to understand three things about men. You need to understand three things about boys. Uh, Nicole Thompson, she breaks down the classes of mother-son relationship that ranges from dysfunctionally close to improperly estranged. The first type of boy you have is the classical mama's boy. Let the church say mama's boy. This relationship is rooted in dependency on both ends and is used to conveniently stand as a crutch. And it manifests itself in the sentiment that nobody is good enough for my son and all contenders have to measure up to the mother's warped perception of herself. The woman, the woman that is in the man's life is perpetually the secret other woman because she has to contend with the mother who feels as if she is dating her son because she never found a man to replace the son's father. That is a mama's boy. But not only do you have mama's boy, but you also have the golden boy. Uh, and a golden boy is rooted in support and reliability without being overly dependent. 
so that the mother knows that her child has a gift and her child has something to offer the world, and she supports the gift, supports his talent, and gives him independence to mature. And this becomes the dynamic when the mother is intentional in setting boundaries, rules, and guidelines for the house because the mother knows that she might be raising a man, but he still needs order. This mother understands that she's not her son's friend. This mother understands that she is her son's advisor while being his confidant. This mother is intentional about having a balanced life inside the home and outside the home. This type of mother doesn't yell out when her son is bowed out from American Idol. This produces a man who can respect an accomplished woman can articulate his desire, has a greater sense of self-control, and knows how to take care of his house because he's not afraid of responsibility. Ah, but you also have the hot boy. And the hot boy is the, is the son who's been separated, neglected, or abandoned from his mother. He has not received direct maternal affection, and so the boy grows up and he becomes a maladjusted man. A maladjusted man who is detached from his mother, she may have been present but dismissive. A hot boy becomes angry because his mother is so involved in her relationships that she chooses a man over her children. And he becomes so engulfed in his own anger, he does not know how to articulate that every three to four months of his life, He's been introduced to a new uncle that's not related. So in fact, he begins to witness and internalize that women don't need commitment, they just need attention. So he begins to play out in his relationships the surrogate uncle who was never permanent, but in fact just passes through the night, leaving early in the morning, even though his subconscious mind takes on the motif that his behavior is maladjusted. And he is witnessing the in-and-out currency that comes into his mother's life. This is a mother who, who becomes so engulfed in her needs that she forgets the needs of her son, making him want, hear me, this man grows up in this kind of environment. He wants affection, but he cannot handle commitment. Jacob is a mama's boy. Esau is a hot boy, all because Isaac was the golden boy. Jacob is playing out his own issues. Hear me, with two sisters who already come from a broken family. Their father grew up in a broken and imperfect home. This shows me that people cannot give what they do not have. Both Jacob and Leah come from screwed up homes, and it messes them up for life. And when they try to get together to form a functional home, the only thing they make is a dysfunctional home. It was Emperor Frederick who ruled the Roman Empire in the 13th century. And he got it in his head that he wanted to discover man's original language. He thought that maybe it was Hebrew or maybe it was Greek, but he didn't know which it was. So he decided to conduct an experiment. 
he ordered several babies to be taken from their mothers and isolated from the sound of the human voice. The expectation was on their own they would speak man's native language. The babies were not neglected in other ways. Nurses were hired to clothe them and to feed them. But they were instructed not to speak to the babies or even make a sound when near them. And the result of his experiment was all of the babies died just from the neglect of the sound of the human voice. Leah comes from a broken home and she is compared to her sister. And to top it all off, she is hated by her husband for over 3,650,000 minutes every day for seven years. And she expects to join to a man who's a mama's boy. Leah became broken. And she could not give Jacob what he needed, even if he was the object of his affection. Her father Laban, huh, to keep it rated PG, he's a hustler. And his daughters are his ticket to a better life. And the burden of being perfect has become so heavy to her, she gets used to being unloved. She gets used to paying a debt that she cannot pay. She gets used to being ignored. She gets used to being unappreciated and not valued and to be hated on top of it all with the expectation, hear me, that I have to pump out some kids. That's enough to make somebody lose their mind. And for about 12 years, she has kids, but she tries to use them for that which she does not get from her husband. You see, the reality is simple, that when you come from a broken home, when you come from a barren situation, you have low expectations and a slave mentality. You see, the first wife in Hebrew culture was not guaranteed affection. She could not be divorced from Jacob all willy-nilly. He had to provide for her financial needs. So she was given financial compensation. He couldn't just put her away in divorce. He pays you for your services, but he doesn't give you attention. He'll give you a seat at the table, but he won't serve you anything. You can stay in the house, but you're not sleeping in the same bed. You're separate, but you're considered equal. You can stay in the house with your sister, but your husband's singing her lullabies, but she won't have access to all of the things that you really need to flourish. Even though we're married, I still hate you. Even though we're connected, I hate you. Even though you're barren, I hate you. I cannot give you what you really want because my mother never gave me what I needed. And she develops a slave mentality because she's hated. And for seven years she knows that Jacob doesn't want her. Jacob doesn't love her. Jacob is just biding his time to get the woman that he really wants. And when he sees Jacob singing to Rachel, she has the expectation to have kids because Rachel is barren. She is unappreciated, but she is expected to perform. In other words, he has to make bricks without straw 
People treat her like a slave for almost 20 years, and they expect her to be able to hop around on one leg and to top it all off. You hate me in the process. I won't celebrate you, but because I got to keep you around, I'll just tolerate you. You see, black people have been playing the life of Leah for too long. Tolerate it instead of celebrate it. Given a place in the house, but the place in the house is the basement. Given a seat at the table, but you have to serve everybody else before you eat. And hear me, you got to do it with a smile. You're born with a deficit before you even know it, and you've grown up weary. And people look at you for how you look and base your value based upon what your body can do. Oh, if you can run and jump, I'll export your talents with sports. If you're smart and industrious, then you'll be isolated and bullied, and you'll you'll be pushed into a corner because you cannot be cool and smart at the same time. If you want to go to college, you'll be made fun of. If you go to prison, you'll be celebrated. God help you if you're a black woman. Just like Leah, judge based upon how she looks and what her body can do. And if you express any hint of individuality, then you're labeled. People have been playing Leah for too long, having a slave mentality and expecting less when God has a purpose. Stop trying to get validation from a broken culture that doesn't value you and downright hates you. We have a dominant culture of mama's boys connected to people who want to define you and confine you, but they don't know who they are themselves. And they hate you, not because of how you look. We don't actually know how how Leah looks. You want to know why they hate you? Because God sees you, and God has opened up your womb. They know that God has a special destiny for you, and that he is reversing all of the years of infertility. God sees you, And he's turning it around for you. But you've been living like a slave for so long that you have internalized a slave mentality, but you've become weary. Some people are just like Leah. They have internalized the oppressive ideology of the dominant culture, and they define themselves based upon their relationship to the dominant culture. But they never reach the place where they can define themselves. How it's like after the Emancipation Proclamation. People were given freedom. But there were, well, uh, Malcolm X um, gave some definitions. There were some people who got so used to living on the plantation. All they knew was slavery. They had internalized the slave mentality. God had freed us. But we were still calling ourselves slaves, and we grew weary instead of reaching for better. The fight was over. The 12 years of living as a slave was over. Being treated like a slave was over legally, but we were so used to it. We were so used to performing for massa that we grew weary when freedom came. And we had a choice to take the next step, but we didn't do it. 
there was a Japanese soldier named Hiru Onoda. He died a few weeks ago from pneumonia in a Tokyo hospital. That wouldn't have made news. Uh, many people die in Tokyo hospitals every day. But the reason why he made news is because of what he was known for. Hiru was a soldier. He refused to surrender after World War II. He refused to accept Japan's defeat. And he continued to live in the jungle for 30 years, carrying out guerrilla war tactics, even though the war was over. But he refused to believe it, and he refused to accept it. And he stayed in a Filipino jungle where he had been deployed for 30 years, fighting a battle that was over for 30 years. And his commanding officer had to travel to the island to persuade him to give up a fight that was already won. He had grown so used to battle, he could not accept that the war was over. He could not return to normal life. And he restricted his life and refused to leave the jungle because he got so used to fighting as a soldier. You know, I've learned some things about black America. Some people have never moved beyond being a slave. They wait for freedom. They wait for deliverance. They're always waiting for the breakthrough instead of taking what God has already given. And you know why? They've grown weary and they have internalized low expectations and a slave mentality. You see, I am African American. My mother didn't know who my father was, so she listed Dominican on my birth certificate. But come to find out, um, she was German, pure German and Native American. And, and when I found out my history, I began to blame myself. I used to think that I couldn't do certain things because I was black. I used to believe that there were certain things I could not do because we were poor, because my mother I was on welfare because she didn't have a formal education. And when I tried to go to school, they said, you're trying to be white. I said, no, I'm just trying to be who God created me to be. But they said, you have to make a choice. And after a while, I just grew weary. And when it was that I failed out of college the first time, I fell out a few times, but when I failed out the first time, my expectations were so low. Praise God, I got a job, and I was vacuuming carpets and cleaning bathrooms and mopping floors. And my expectations were low that if I would have went to class, I would have settled for a C when I have the intelligence for an A. Some people, <laughs> they shout because the Lord will see you through. But you get to certain levels of education where low expectations will doom you. Praise God, I began to stack successes on top of one another. I went back to community college, and my grades were so low, only one school would take me, and that was Oakwood. People think I went to Oakwood because I chose to go to Oakwood. Oakwood was the only school that would take me, and I grew weary because of low expectations, I thought 
that I could not succeed because I never succeeded. My frame of reference was just like Leah. I had lived with the slave mentality for so long that I internalized it and it became my mode of thinking. Ah, but the text says, the Lord sees Leah and sees that she's hated and he opens up her womb. God sees people who are unappreciated. God sees people who are manipulated. God sees people who are thrown in a love affair. And th those who, 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 they do not even care about themselves, it says God sees you and he opens up her womb. God sees your suffering. He sees your affliction and he's opening up your womb, but you will not give birth to what God has for you until you stop defining yourself by your relationship to Jacob, by your relationship to a barren sister. You've grown weary and your expectations for yourself are low. And there are so many reasons for you telling you that you cannot do something. You are so used to fighting that when a word of deliverance comes to you, you shout, but you wait another year. You wait for another Black History Month before anything changes. Black people, God sees you. And he has opened up your womb, opened up what was dead inside of you, but you're so focused on your haters that you don't realize that you already have divine favor. God saw you before you were hated. God saw you before you were born. God saw you before your name was Leah, and he opened up your womb, and hear me, there is an egg inside of you, and the basis of fertilization has opened up, but you're so focused on comparison and competition that you're going to lose it because you've grown weary. And we see from the text that the haters, <coughs> that she has to overcome are the critical voices that are inside of her and amongst her. You see the voices that call you stupid, the voices that call you no good, the voices that call you nothing, they don't just come from outside, they come from inside. You have so heard that you're nothing and you can't do nothing and you'll never be nothing that you begin to believe it and when you try to do something great your own family say wait another year the oppressor's ideology has become our mode of thinking when it is that you want to better yourself you have the negativity from inside of you saying you can't do it and people from your own family saying you're trying to act white your own neighbors will hate on you. And you might be tempted to believe the voices, but there is something inside of you that knows better. There is something inside of you that says you have to take the next step. You're tired. You've grown weary of living like a slave. Voices from amongst us say we've always been this way. So we always have to stay this way. My mother, she's deceased. She had six kids by six different men. I'm black, sister Cuban, another sister Dominican, another sister Spanish, another sister white. 
We were labeled from the moment of our mother's death, and nobody wanted us. When they gave us up for adoption, nobody in our family would claim us. And when I talked to my sisters about going back to school, just getting a GED, they say, I can't do it because I've never done it. And I tell them, you can do whatever God has birthed you to do. Why do you want me to remain a slave when God has ended the war and he's opened up my womb? Your world is small and your reality is warped and you've been stuck in this place for too long. So please don't tell me I'm a sellout because I don't want to stay on the block repping the hood doing nothing with my life. Please don't tell me that I'm trying to act bougie and sadiddy when I want to have a 401k, when I want to have tax returns at the end of the year. Think about it with me. It says that God sees her. But why would God see Leah? How the favor and the covenant is on Jacob. And God has already used Laban as an instrument for Jacob's birth because Jacob's mother, Rebekah, is Laban's sister, who many years before was a fulfillment of the divine promise of the covenant given to Abram. And Jacob is given the same promise, and the first woman he sees is Rachel. So it would stand to reason that Rachel would be the one that God's faith would rest upon. The story is supposed to be about Jacob and Rachel. But Leah is thrown in involuntarily against her will, thrust into a narrative, not as an indentured servant, but as a slave. She is a real-life Cinderella. Jacob assumes that just because Rachel makes him feel some kind of way, that God is going to use her as an instrument to bless the world. But God is not going to use Rachel. God is not going to use the pretty one. God is not going to use the educated one. God is going to use someone who is so hated, so ugly. God is seeing a woman that who is unloved and hated upon lets me know that God doesn't need the favored people. God doesn't need the covenant people. God doesn't need the remnant people, but he needs some unappreciated people. He needs some unaccomplished people. He needs some barren people, some hated people to bless the entire world. He sees me, hear me, when I cannot see him. He sees me when I begin to hate what I see in the mirror. He sees me when I begin to believe the lies of the enemy. He could have just opened up my womb without seeing my hatred. He could bless me indirectly. But the record says he sees my hatred. He is preoccupied with my condition, and he's staring at my predicament. That tells me that he's a God of the oppressed. And the Bible says that Leah conceives and bears a son and names him Reuben, for she says, The Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She already has divine favor. But she won't realize it until she tries to have a baby with Jacob. How oh, that went over your head. She could have tried in vitro fertilization. 
She could have tried expensive fertility treatments. She could have tried surrogate mothers, but we know that don't work. She could have tried alternative medicine, but when you're trying to deal with your own dilemma, with your own resources, when you're already barren, you just perpetuate more comparison, more competition, and more slavery. You see, you need to understand something. God seeing me comes before my consciousness of his sight. And I don't know that he sees me. I don't know that he's opened up my womb until I take the next step and try something great. When he opens up my womb, it is confirmation that he's been seeing me all along. In sense, he's reimbursing me. He's giving me reparations for all of the slavery I've endured for my entire life. But I won't know that he can restore the locusts. I won't realize it if I stay with the slave mentality that says it cannot be done because it's never been done. She didn't have to sleep with Jacob, but it says she saw that the Lord saw her. She realized that God had opened up her womb and she believed in advance when it would only make sense in reverse. You see, you can celebrate the fact that God has seen you that God has opened up what was dead inside of you when you stop defining yourself by how you look and by what your body can do. Be conscious of where God brought you from. Be conscious of your slavery, but realize that God has not limited you to your slavery experience. Realize that God has opened up your womb. God says, Leah, you've been a slave long enough. You've been chained long enough. He says, let my people go. Your past does not define you. Your past does not confine you because God has opened up your womb. But you'll never know it. You will never see it until you get busy owning your own identity and investing in your own success. Let them conceive what's inside of them, and then you'll finally have the courage to go to the bank and get a sonogram. You'll finally have the courage to go to school and see the potential inside of you. Maybe when you see some evidence of God's favor on your life, then maybe you'll believe that you're not a slave anymore. Let them go so they can be set free from their family history. I know in your family there's a history of drug abuse. I know in your family there is a history of sexual assault. I know in your family there is a history of diabetes. I know in your family there is a history of alcoholism. That might limit some of your potential. It might give birth to historical trauma, but there is potential inside of you that you will never reach if you continue being bound by the victim mentality. Never forget where you come from, but do not let that stop you from going where I made you to be. You see, Leah, you need to understand that there's a difference huh, between potentiality and actuality. There's a difference between potentiality and actuality. Um, Aristotle raises the concept for our consideration, that of potentiality and actuality. Aristotle says that potentiality is simply the possibility of a thing to become. 
And he says that actuality is when a thing actually is. So if you take an acorn that is just a little speck, it has the potential inside of it to become an oak tree. But if the acorn defines itself by all the other acorns, if the acorn defines itself by the walnuts in the group, if the acorn defines itself by the texture of its skin, if the acorn defines itself by lighter acorns and darker acorns, it will never become the oak tree that God has destined it to become. Leah knows her history. She, know, she knows her past. She knows her looks or lack thereof. But she has to let the potentiality inside of her give birth to her actuality that God has purposed something for her, but she will never see it if she doesn't move forward. You see, no matter who my mother is or where I come from or where I live, I have the potential inside of me to be whatever God created me to be. You want to know how I know? When I, graduated, when I was done with Andrews, they, I said, I want to do another master's degree, and my own classmate said, Joey, don't take all that. Why are you trying to be better than us? I said, I ain't trying to do you. I'm just trying to do me. And when I enrolled in my first class, there was a woman in the class. She said she was finishing up. I said, all, all right, amen. And she said, no, honey, you don't understand. I'm 94 years old. And I, I said, hold it. You got to break that down for me, sister. She said, I went back to school when I was 89 years old. I did a bachelor's degree when I was 92, and I'm finishing my master's when I'm 94. And I said to myself, God, I don't have to be smarter than her. All I have to be as smart as her, and I can do what you destined me to do. You see, I serve a God of potentiality. But he wants to bring out my actuality because he is a shall-be God. He says, Jacob... You shall be Israel. Gideon, you shall be a warrior. David, you shall be a man after my own heart. Mourners, you shall be comforted. Meek, you shall inherit the earth. The word of the Lord doesn't just come to the pretty Rachels of the world, but it comes to the Leah's of the Lord and says, I know what you are, but there's something inside of you and it shall come to pass. I see your situation, but I've opened up your womb. I know they have enslaved you. I know they've hated you. And I know they've made you hate yourself. But I have opened up your womb. I have inserted divine favor inside of you. Check it out. Ah, you have the solution to your problem before Jacob ever made it. You have the solution to the world's problems even though the world hates you even though the world defines you based upon how you look or what your body can do. I know what you are, but I know what you shall be. And if you keep believing, I know that you're struggling right now, but if you take the next step and keep on going, you're going to have a son. And your son's going to have a son. And your son's going to have another son. And that son is going to have a fourth son named Judah. And that son will have a few more sons. And that final son will be the son that redeems the entire world. Leah, your fourth son will have a son. And will have about 51 sons. And this son will be hated just like you. 
This son will be misunderstood just like you. This son will be unloved and unappreciated just like you. He will be hated by his brothers just like you. He'll be misunderstood by his family just like you. He'll be rejected by his own people just like you. He'll be charged with your crimes. He'll be charged with my crimes. He'll be hated without a cause. But Jacob, he will take your sin. Leah, he will take your transgression. Laban, he'll even take your iniquity. And he will use that hate. He will suffer from that hate. And he will die from that hate. But three days later, he'll come back with all power in his hands. And no demon in hell will be able to define for him what God has destined for him to be. But his name won't be Judah. His name won't be Jacob. Some will call him Counselor. Some will call him Mighty God. But we will call him Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. He will be God. But he will become a slave for you and for me. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I wondered, God, did you have the wrong person? There have been times in my life where I said, God, you already know me before there wasn't me. I said, God, what are you looking at? You know my past and you know my future and you know I'm going to let you down. God, what are you looking at? God says, I see what you are, but I know what you shall be. I know what they told you when you were a kid. I know that they told you you'll never be anything. I know that there's so many reasons not to believe. But I have opened up your womb with potential. I have opened up your womb with divine favor. And I hear God saying to you, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall see him as he is. I know who you are. But I also know what you shall be. Stop believing the lie. Stop listening to the slave mentality. Know that I see you and have made fertile inside of you that which was dead. And I want to give birth to something in you. But you have to move forward in faith. If you came to my house about 15 years ago, you would have walked in the door and you would have seen my foster mother cracking some eggs. Um, you would have seen her um, spilling some milk. You would have seen her making a mess on the counter, on the table, and you would walk in and you would ask her, what in the world are you doing? And she would say, I'm, figuring, I'm, fit, I'm fixing to do something. And all you see are broken eggs, spilled milk, and a mess all over the kitchen. But if you would just wait um, about an hour, if you would go in the room and watch some TV, when you come back in the kitchen, you would see no mess because she would clean as she cooks. You would see something in the oven. You would, you would smell something in the oven, and it would come out, and you would ask her, where are all the cracked eggs? Where's all the spilled milk? Where's the mess that I saw before? 
And she said, baby, I told you I was fixing to do something. You see, when it is that I take some eggs and I break them in my hand, when I take some milk and I spill it all over the place, I'm fixing to make something. It don't make sense to you because you don't understand it. All you see is broken eggs and spilt milk. But when it's in my hands, in the right environment, I put it all together and you have a cake. You don't have to understand how it happens. You don't have to understand all of the intricacies of where the recipe came from. I ain't got no cookbook. I told you that there was a mess, but I was fixing to do something. God is saying to you today, people look at you, and all they see is cracked eggs. People look at you, and all they see is spilt milk. But God is fixing to do something. And what he is saying is simply this. Know your past, but don't let it define you or confine you. Move forward. And when you come forth, everybody's going to want a piece of you. When they see you, those who hated on you, they're going to want a slice of you. They're going to be asking you for the hookup. They're going to say, can you do this for me? But before, all they saw was cracked eggs and spilt milk. The raw ingredients of success is inside of you. But you need to put them in God's hands. There's somebody here under the sound of my voice. You were, are, just like me. You're a mixture of potential and disappointment. You got 23 chromosomes from your heavenly father and 23 chromosomes from the enemy, and you're just a jumbled mess. But God is fixing to do something. You want to put your potential in his hands. You want to put your acorns in his hands so he can make you the oak tree that he's destined for you to be. If that's you, I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. There's something that God has put inside of you. For me, it was to just finish school. I never thought I'd go to graduate school. Black, black, black people where I came from, they, they ain't do that. I was just happy with just doing one thing. But God says, I have opened up your womb. And you're going to conceive and give birth to some stuff. Hear me, that's going to save the entire world. But you have to go forward in order to get it. If you're tired of being limited by your past, by your family history, and you want a special prayer of healing and consecration, come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. You're tired of being limited and bound by what they told you you could not do because of something your father never did or something your mother never did. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God has birthed something inside of you. And it won't come to fruition until you take the next step. Take a risk. And walk into divine favor. Is there another? I invite you to come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. There's something that you want to do, but you've been afraid. For me, it was to do a second master's degree because I knew that I needed something more 
if I wanted my children to push beyond the slave mentality of the past 200 years. I have alcoholism in my family. I have sexual assault in my family. I have diabetes in my family. And hear me, I have the potential to go either way. I know my history, but I will not let it define me. I will not let it confine me to other people's expectations because they can't do what God has birthed me to do. Is there another? Bow your heads with me. Father, sometimes we feel like a motherless child. Sometimes we feel like Cinderella. Sometimes we feel like the ugly duckling. Saying that we can't do things based upon how we look. Based upon what our body can't do. Compared to other people who need us. But people who don't love us. Lord, our world has defined things for too long. But she said, I've seen you. And I've opened up your womb. And I want you to concede some things with divine favor, but you've got to take the next step. Father, there are some people here under the sound of my voice. They've been unloved. They've been hated upon for no reason. They've been unappreciated and undervalued. But Lord, today, you're going to give birth to something inside of them that they can't see, they can't understand until they take the next step. Father, I ask that your divine favor would go upon each person here under the sound of my voice so we can give birth to something that's going to save the entire world. If you need God's divine favor, just respond by saying amen. amen. God bless you. God bless you. I need you, my heart, Lord. Give me your holy word. If I can hear from you. Then I'll know what to do I won't go alone I'll never go on my own Just let your spirit guide And let your word abide Speak to my heart, Lord Give me your holy word If I can't hear from you Then I'll know what to do I won't go alone I'll never go on my own. Just let your spirit guide and let your word abide. Speak to my heart, Lord. Give me your holy word. If I can't hear from you, then I'll know what to do. I won't go alone. I'll never go on my own. Just let your spirit guide. 